I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me! It's Jonathan Elway, he was so sassy and cool and hey guys, I'm a cowboy, bang bang, sling sling, toss toss, I'm going to lose all the time and then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. What's up, Broncos fans? Yes, I'm podcasting from just outside Munich, Germany. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. The birds are chirping. I've got my window open here in my uh, <laughs> studio, my office slash studio, so you might hear some birds chirping in the background. I'm eating scones, drinking some coffee. Yes, homemade scones. I made scones. Thank you very much. Um, I first made them for St. Patrick's Day on Sunday because they're awesome and dope. And so my wife and I loved them so much. I made them again last night, and they are just as good as they were on Sunday. Just lovely, lovely stuff. There's just nothing quite like sitting back and, and eating a scone and reading about Broncos news and 
free agency news, not a whole lot going on in the last few days, but but a really clear picture starting to to develop, I think, for the Broncos and the Broncos' plans, not just for the 2019-2020 season, but for, for the next several seasons. And I think things can always change, of course, but, but what Elway has planned becomes more and more obvious and more clear by the day. I mean, his vision, along with Fangio, to me, seems like he is aiming for another 2015 type team with a more aggressive and and you know go deep down the field style offense rather than you know kind of your your Peyton Manning you know change the play at the line you know etc. And they're going to play under center. Uh, Joe Flacco and the offense will play under center. I'm sure you'll see some bootlegs. You'll see some some Shanahan style offense, some West Coast offense, and that'll be a little bit different than 2015. But the main the main thing they're aiming for looks like is to have that really, really dominant defense and to have that defense, as we've talked about in the past, and as is not a surprise, you need to have some really, really good uh, defensive backs, some really shut down corners and a really good pass rush. So they already have the pass rush and they have really boosted their cornerbacks in free agency and and moves that I love moves that a lot of Broncos fans and a lot of writers, a lot of the guys over at uh, mile high report have asked for and the Broncos went out and did it. So I think a lot of people loving the off season so far for the Denver Broncos, or at least liking it. I think the Joe Flacco trade didn't get off to a, you know, on, on the right foot for a lot of fans, but things have become a little more clear what they're trying to do. And, and in general, it seems that fans and pundits alike are giving the Broncos at least a B grade for this offseason. Now, that's not the case. If you're ESPN, they just, for whatever reason, hate everything the Broncos do. I mean, I think they gave the Juwan James, I think they gave it like a D minus grade. It's like, I mean, okay, I get it. Maybe he hasn't shown enough to be the highest paid right tackle, but nobody really knows. I mean, you can't really judge it that harshly. He's, he hasn't been that bad. He hasn't underperformed yet for the Broncos. So, I mean, it seems like a pretty harsh grade. Now, I'm okay with it because I've seen a lot of these people giving grades in, in the off season and no one gives anything above a B minus and nothing below a C minus. So they're always, you know, C, B, C, B. They just don't have the guts to, to go out on a limb. So I guess, you know, at least it's something for ESPN, but I don't think, I mean, I don't love the Juwan James uh, signing, but we won't really know until he gets into the Munchak system. And he's a guy who's athletic enough and talented enough that he really could become the top right tackle in football. And if that's the case, and obviously the the deal will look much better in a few years. And he's a guy that probably as the market grows and the market gets, you know, more and more expensive in two or three years, if he's still with the team, his his salary, his salary hit and his uh, contract will actually look pretty, pretty solid. And, and, and it will no doubt it won't be the top contract in the next couple of years. Anyway, for the show, we're going to talk about obviously Broncos free agency, what the Broncos have planned for the draft and Skipper Dude's going to come on later. He's got a pretty long segment today, but a good one, a really good one. He, he's going to delve into the the free agent moves of the past, both the, the top free agency moves for the, for the Broncos and the, the, the worst free agency moves in the last, eh, I think, six or seven years. And he's going to see how the reaction on milehighreport.com in, in the comment section, how those reactions actually 
melded or worked with the what ended up happening on the field. So when when the Broncos signed, say, I think Joe Mays was one of the, one of the examples. They signed Joe Mays. What was the reaction from the fans, and how did it actually pan out? Were the were, were the MileHighReport.com fans correct? And he has a really good segment about that. And it's it's absolutely worth a listen, and you'll be able to see, again, just how smart or not MileHighReport.com fans are. And as always, I highly recommend that you go over to MileHighReport.com for all of your football needs. I mean, they, they just have endless, endless good material. I mean, some of these guys have, as I've said, and, and ladies, they just... It never ceases to surprise me how good of the, how good their content is and and the numbers and stuff that they come up with and and it's just endless. So definitely have that on your on your homepage, I should say. Um, what else are we going to talk about? Oh, and also I want to say again, and I know I've mentioned this in the past. We've had a few fan rants on here. I always like having fan rants. I like having people come on and contribute to the show. We put you on at the end of the show. The only two requirements are that it's between one and ten minutes long in audio recording and that it is clean. So it needs to be clean, family-friendly content. Other than that, you can talk about whatever the heck you want. It's the off-season. If you want to talk about the Rockies even, I'm pretty much okay with that because I'm a big Rockies fan. Um, stayed up until 1 o'clock the other night watching a pre or a spring training game. Um, they're going to be fun this year. Uh, there's a lot going on in Denver sports. The, the Nuggets are, are freaking awesome. They're looking at perhaps being the number one seed in the West. They could do it if they have a really great ending to the year so so get on board the nuggets if you're not already uh and the broncos have had an interesting offseason it, it's been a great couple of weeks for for denver and colorado sports fans i mean the rockies i think they're exciting that it, it's always fresh and new when you're when you're about to end spring training you have the high hopes of the year you have a lot of talent on that team you have a good pitching staff you have a good lineup the nuggets are are just killing everybody out there with a with you know nikola jokic and 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 Nobody, I mean, a bunch of, not nobodies, I guess, but no other stars. So you really have one star and a bunch of guys who just play well together and play as a team. And then you have the Broncos, of course, you know, the, the team in, in Denver. And they go out and, and make a, a pretty big splash and get Joe Flacco. And, and, and as I've discussed, it, is, it was not a very popular move. And, and Flacco was a guy that whenever I put out polls, what, what quarterback fans wanted, he was always bottom I mean and not even close I mean I, I would say even if you compared if I said okay do we want Case Keenum do we want um Foles do we want a rookie or do we want Flacco and you'd have you know the percentages for the poll numbers would be 20 30 40 and then Flacco would be like two percent seriously nobody wanted him nobody wanted Flacco and part of it is because fans have bad memories of Flacco going back to, you know, 2013 when he obviously the, the Raheem Moore play. And we all remember that in the freezing cold weather and the, the most heartbreaking game I've ever experienced coldest and walk after that game, just walking downtown Denver, it was truly like, like the city itself couldn't breathe. Like, like there was no air. It was gone. The, 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 the city was, was, was unconscious for an entire evening. It was silent. You walked out of the stadium and it was silent. That was an unbelievably heartbreaking game. And I think that still sits with Broncos fans. That still rests, you know, it's it's like a upset stomach for, for fans. And so they didn't like Flacco. They didn't like the trade. But I think now that we see, you know, what appears to be the plan, it, it makes sense. And I think it all revolves around Elway. For one, 
being a guy who just doesn't like to rebuild. And we've seen that over and over. He's not a rebuilding guy. He's not a guy who tanks. Elway is not ever a GM or player who can handle losing. I think that's just that's deep inside him. And people are always say, oh, well, that's everybody. That's not true. That's just not true. Don't tell me that the Oakland Raiders were not trying to at least a little bit tank last year. I mean, I mean, there are tons of teams who tank to try to get top draft picks. And that happens maybe not as much in the NFL as it does in other sports, but it still definitely happens. So don't tell me that other GMs feel the same way. Elway is one of the few who never, ever rebuilds, and I think it was to their detriment. It was to their detriment the last three years that they didn't rebuild. Now, people say, of course, that the main problem with that was because they, they placed all of their hope in Paxton Lynch and put a big draft pick in him and hoped that he was the future and he was a total bomb. But you know, even still, they didn't get rid of any of their big contracts, at least not immediately. And so you kind of went into this, this, you know, middle level of, of talent, where you had some good guys who are getting a lot of money, and no quarterback. And as we know, if you don't have a quarterback, then you almost can't win in the NFL. And obviously, it set them back three years. And here we are now with with, you know, yet again, another coach, another scheme and another quarterback. So I think Elway decided, okay, first of all, he knows, I am terrible at drafting quarterbacks. He is not good at seeing the right talent in quarterbacks. And and that's not, obviously, that's not a good thing. That's not a positive thing. But it's a good thing if he recognizes that's not his strength. Now, either he needs to go and hire somebody who's going to go and look at these quarterbacks and pick a good one, or he needs to go the way that worked. Go get a free agent who has been proven to be a had to have success in the NFL and to have won. And Joe Flacco has won, and he has a very good record in the playoffs. He's a guy who's been there. He's done that. He had now. Yeah, I get it. He doesn't have all the stats that you know, say Peyton Manning or other guys have had, but he he's a winner. He he is a winner, and he's a guy who can lead this team to to victory. And I, I think that's the case. And I think if he's put in the right system, if he's put with talent around him, he can be a very good quarterback. And he's proven that. I mean, give him a good offensive line and a couple receivers. The guy's got a gun of an arm. No, he's not very he's not very mobile, but but he is a good pocket passer. He's tall. He can see over the line. He can make all the passes. There's there's really no denying that. Now Again, you look at his in the last few years, and his stats are not great. I mean, they're they're just barely above Case Keenum level. But you know, you can again, you can start looking looking into the okay. Was it was it his line? Was it his the talent around him? Was it you know he just wasn't playing to the top of his game? And it's hard to really say. It's probably a mix of it all. But he's a guy again who has a talent to be able to succeed, and. Since Elway did that, it's it's again seems clear that Elway is again wanting to win right now. There's no rebuild. There's no hey, let's let's tank for 2020. Let's get Trevor Lawrence in 2021. Let's get you know Herbert or let's get you know Tua in 2020. That's not on the table. It's just not. I I think he's making that clear. There's there's no there's no even thought in his mind or the rest of the team to to lose now to win later. Now. In the short run, obviously that's good. In the long run, I mean, up to you. What do you think? Is it good or bad? I mean, sometimes maybe tanking is a good thing, but is losing ever a good thing? I don't think it's an answerable question. I mean, because the draft is such a crapshoot, 
quarterbacks in the draft are such a crapshoot. I mean, Tua and Herbert and these other guys from, they seem like guys who are going to be really great in the NFL, but how often do we see guys in college that we think will be great in the NFL, and then, then they're not. They're terrible. And look at Paxton Lynch. The Broncos weren't the only team that thought he was going to be a great quarterback. Plenty of teams did. Dallas was, was ticked off that they didn't get Paxton Lynch. So sometimes guys look like they're going to be it, and they're not. They can't, they can't play to the speed of the NFL. They're not smart enough for the playbook of the NFL. Sometimes guys just get crappy luck, and they get different schemes every single year on offense. They have different offensive coaches, and they, they can't pick up a new system every year. And oftentimes that is, is to a major, major detriment of a, of a young quarterback. So... Elway also has the the added I don't know the the added push that his contract expires in three years, and if you think of it that way, the Elway is determined that in the next three years they will open their contention window. So maybe maybe not exactly now as their contention window for a Super Bowl, but in the next two or three years it will be opened, and it must be opened. It must. Joe Ellis, John Elway, three years. That's the end of their contract. Who knows what's going to happen in the ownership? Nobody knows. I mean, the, the, the Bolins could not be owners in the next few years. That's possible. And, 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 and maybe the trust won't you know, have the, the control over the team. So it's going to be one of these young Bolin girls, maybe Beth Bolin, maybe I, I forget the other names, but one of these Bolin girls, and maybe they'll decide to go in, an, 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 in another way. They'll fire Joe Ellis. They'll fire John Elway and bring someone else in. If that's the case, then John Elway and Joe Ellis have right now, they have three years to, to bring this team back to championship level and to at least bring them back to the playoffs so that they can either get their contracts extended or leave the team on a high note. And so we have to keep that in mind that the window is now they, they need to win in the next three years. Do you really see them bringing in a young quarterback unless they're absolutely sure of this young quarterback, which I think the problem is Elway is, was so devastated by Paxton Lynch. He was so sure of him. And then he was so bad. Maybe he is never going to be sure again of a young quarterback. And, and if that's the case, obviously, we may need to get a new GM. But th- this, it, it's, like a, it's like a bad breakup, you know? If, if you, you have this girl that you absolutely love, you're just absolutely head over heels, and, and you actually go on a date with her, and you go on a couple dates, and you become boyfriend and girlfriend, and it ends up, she's terrible. She's the worst. She's just this absolutely horrific person. And, you know, okay, you have to break up. And you have to go, you know, and maybe you got to go find a new girlfriend just to, to help your broken heart. And you know what? You you have to look at the whole dating love sphere in a different way after that broken heart. And I think that's Elway. I think Paxton Lynch broke his heart. You know, it broke his his ideology as a GM as looking at quarterbacks. And so I think now Elway says, okay, what worked? Who was my who was my girlfriend that, that that was that was good to me? You know, who was my quarterback that was good to me? And that was Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning was a, a guy who had been there. He'd done that. He he was at the end of his career or towards the end of his career. But he there was proof of what he could do in this league in the NFL. John Elway knew that he could be a good girlfriend because there was proof of it in this league. And that's exactly what he thinks Joe Flacco is. Joe Flacco, I, my first reaction was that he was a Band-Aid. But the more and more it goes, I think Elway at least is convinced that Joe Flacco is the quarterback for the next few years for the Denver Broncos. For better or worse, I believe 
you're not going to see any any high draft pick of a quarterback not in the first round perhaps in the second or third some some project to to maybe groom under Joe Flacco but I think we're going to see Joe Flacco as a Denver Broncos quarterback for the next three years at least and they're going to build around him both on offense and on defense okay up next we're going to send it over to Skipper Dude who's going to tell us a little bit about the free agent best and worst of the last uh, maybe 10 years six or seven 10 years whatever and how the milehighreport.com commenters how good were they in being able to see a good or bad signing in free agency so skipper dude up next after this quick break i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks as always for having me on, Kevin. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So today, with the 2019 free agency period officially past its prime and now clearly in decline, I wanted to weigh in with some thoughts on the Broncos' key free agent pickups, not so much from the standpoint of whether or negatives for John Elway, Vic Pangio, and the Broncos, but more from the standpoint of does our opinion on the caliber of these free agent signings matter? Does it matter what I think or Kevin thinks or the brilliant minds at Mile High Report think? I mean, do, do we as fans honestly have enough of a handle on the NFL free agency landscape that we can judge signings like Kareem Jackson, Jawan James, and Bryce Callahan before we've ever watched any of them play it down with the Denver Broncos? Or is history going to eventually bear us out as just being a bunch of emotional slubs who are full of it when it comes to evaluating NFL talent? I, I thought this was an interesting point to ponder, so I decided to make it a journalistic endeavor and look at some of the past best and worst free agency pickups of the John Elway era and see how fans at Mile High Report reacted to them at the time, on the day of each signing. Has history been kind to our collective knee-jerk reactions to signings like DeMarcus Ware and Russell Okung, or, or were we off-target then, as perhaps we are today, with our 2019 free agency class? First, though, I wanted to throw in some thoughts on Jackson, Jackson James, and Callahan. I think I'm in the majority opinion with Jackson and Callahan. These are some nice cornerback signings, but probably not as meaningful as Kakeem Tlaib in 2014. Jackson and Callahan were pro football focused as number two and number three free agent cornerbacks for 19, uh, 2019, and neither is going to break the bank. So at worst, these are pretty solid signings. Perhaps you're even getting a bit of a Vic Fangio discount with Callahan. And yeah, I get it that Jackson will turn 31 in April, and he's going to be in physical decline, but that really doesn't bother me. Okay, I get he'll be 33 when his contract expires in 2021, 
But think about it. Champ Bailey was 36 when the Broncos cut him in 2014. And while Kareem Jackson is no Champ Bailey, mind you, he makes his mark like Bailey did with solid fundamentals and good tackling, which is, which is going to help slow his career decline as compared with a guy like a Bradley Roby who relies more on his physical talents. When, when you step back and start to compare the 2019 defense to the Broncos' legendary 2015 defense, it actually starts to stack up somewhat well. Ask yourself who you would rather have a cornerback, the 2015 version of Chris Harris with Keith Tlaib and Bradley Roby, or the 2019 version of Chris Harris with Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan. I'd say it's reasonably close. If, Ra- if Roby's having a good day, I think you take the 2015 cornerbacks. If Roby's having a bad day, I'd probably go with this group. You know, less upside than 2015, but less downside as well, and probably more dependable. And in addition, your pass rush duo of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb is probably a step up from 2015's Von Miller, Shaq Barrett, and the physical shell of DeMarcus Ware, although you have no depth yet for the 2019 edge rushers. So this group isn't quite at 2015 levels yet, but the, but the potential's there. The other major strength of the 2015 defense, Wade Phillips, is starting to stack up pretty well as well. Vic Fangio and Donatel are no slouches as defensive geniuses when you put them up against our beloved Wade Phillips. In fact, it's probably not far off to call that particular comparison a push as well. So no, we're not at this point. You don't have an answer for 2015's Malik Jackson or TJ Ward factors. You're still building your D-line depth, and you have basically nothing at inside linebacker yet. So, So really... This is not the 2015 Denver Broncos defense reincarnate, but there are definitely some pieces in place, and the NFL draft is still ahead. Now, the move I really don't like is Jawan James at four years and $52 million. Yeah, he may very well turn out to be worth the money. He looks horribly expensive right now, but, but I won't be surprised if by year three of this contract, it looks like a bargain under the NFL's new collective bargaining agreement, assuming they get one. Think about Von Miller. That, that contract looked unbearable when he first signed it. But as salaries rise, it's actually starting to look like somewhat of a bargain. With John James, I honestly don't hate either the player or the contract. I mean, they both seem to be pretty decent. But what I don't like is the fact that you brought in the NFL's number one offensive co- defensive, offensive line coach, Mike Munchak, and then you spend premium free agent dollars on his position group. I mean, yeah, perhaps Munchak turns James into an off-the-charts NFL right tackle, and you get $14 million in your in value for your $13 million investment. That's a stretch, right? But I suppose it's possible. But wouldn't you go get, why wouldn't you go get a $3 million second or third tier guy right tackle and let Munchak coach him up to a league average $6 or $7 million in value, then spend that extra $10 million upgrading your smoking hole at tight end or, or get some more safety depth, or perhaps even Fangio's inside linebacker. So yeah, I really don't get the James signing. Perhaps, perhaps, Elway was trying to curry favor and goodwill with Munchak, a little like he did with Bill Kolar back in 2016 when he drafted Adam Gotsis. If Munchak was pounding the table demanding Elway go get Juwan James, then I suppose I can warm up to this signing a little, like we all did with Gotsis, but otherwise... It feels to me like Elway let his his available cap money burn a hole in his pocket, and he was just hungry to make 
a, a day one splash in free agency. I don't like it. I just don't like this deal. So anyways, back to the topic for today. Broncos country appears to have given Elway roughly a B, B minus or so for the Kareem Jackson signing, a C or C minus for the James, you know, overpay um, at right tackle and something closer to an A minus for Callahan, you know, especially with the Jackson Callahan duo. Uh, and it's gone over really, really well, especially teamed up with Chris Harris Jr. But when we look back at these signings three or four years from now, what are the chances that these grades are still going to look like anything even resembling accurate? Well, as a little scientific experiment, I thought I'd look at the three worst and the three best signings of the John Elway era uh, for, for free agency and, and, and look back at the knee-jerk reactions right here on Mile High Report the day of each to see if the fans had the signings sniffed out right away or whether we were, as typical knee-jerking fans, not seeing things as clearly as John Elway. So let's start with Elway's three worst free agent signings. Now, I may not get 100% agreement here, but the three names I'm going to throw out there are Russell Okung in 2016, Joe Mays in 2011, and Menelik Watson in, in 2017. I suppose there's a case to be made for some guys like Donald Stevenson or, or Mark Sanchez or perhaps even Demarius Thomas, who was way overpaid for what he produced in, in his prime years. But, but we'll go with these three. So with Okung, if you remember, this was kind of an odd deal where he represented himself as an agent. And he signed a five-year contract, but with a one-year opt-out for the Broncos, which basically effectively made it a prove-it type of a deal with the hopes that Okung would become an anchor to the Broncos' offensive line after a revolving door in 2015 that included guys like Ryan Harris and Michael Schofield and even Ty Sambrello playing left tackle. But, but Okung, with no thanks to some bad quarterbacking from Trevor Simeon, and Paxton Lynch, he ended up 2016 as second in the NFL with a whopping 50 quarterback hurries to go with 11 penalties. And the Broncos, of course, went on to decline the other four years of his contract and drafted Garrett Bowles in 2017. Now, looking at the commentary on Mile High Report the day that this signing happened, March 17, 2016, really the mood was one of relief. The Broncos were moving on from the often injured Ryan Clady, if you remember that, then, then it was either strongly for or against Russell Okung. Scotty Payne, who, who wrote the article announcing the signing, said simply, the Broncos' offensive line looks much better than the one that took the field during Super Bowl 50. Now, looking at it in a retrospect, that looks off base in hindsight, but, but honestly, it wasn't a bad observation at the time. Okung was bad for the Broncos, you know, as, as a Bronco, but, but probably he was no worse than either Michael Schofield or Ryan Harris, the, the Super Bowl 50 um, um, tackle starters. And it's very interesting to see the comments that turned salmon on that day. It's one of the things I'm using to, um, to, to, to decide the, where, where the, fan, the fan pulse was. They, they were actually pretty spot on. So whether or not the folks posting comments had their fingers on the pulse of things that day, the folks who were wrecking or, or, or liking the comments certainly had their... their um, their finger on the pulse. Here, here are the salmon comments. Uh, number one, signed for five years. We'll play a total of 15 games. Sigh. Posted by Jump Slash. Uh, Okung actually played 16 games in 2016, but that was a solid comment. Uh, number two, salmon comment. Clady missed nothing after the basketball injury, which happened in the 2010 
offseason before his second contract. Unfortunately, Okung has been equally injury-prone over the past three years, missed 13 games, and we just paid him more money, $10.6 million per year, than we are on the hook for Clady, $9.75 million per year, and Okung has never rated as highly as Clady. I don't love it. World would be would much rather have had Clady at six to eight million, and that was posted by Anon seventy six returns. Clady only p- played nine games, if you remember, for the New York Jets uh, in two thousand sixteen before he retired from football. So, so this comment probably missed the mark a little bit, even though it was uh, he was salmon at the time. Now, quoting from Pro Football Focus, Russell Okung, left tackle. Okung has been able to muster one season in his six year career that justified his top 10 selection. That year was 2012, when he was our 10th highest-rated tackle. Every year since, though, he's graded out negatively as injuries have plagued his development. He's only 28, but and there's still hope that he can regain that form. But even if he can't, a slightly below-average tackle is still a massive upgrade for a lot of teams. Exciting. Posted by Dan Hampton. That is a solid comment. Okay, so the next one comes from Pete Barron. He said, so, we give up an often injured left tackle for $9.5 million for an often injured left tackle at $10.6 million. I trust you, Elway, but man, you're making it very difficult right now. That was probably the most spot-on of all the comments. And then, and then the next one, um, the, there was a comment that said, safe deal for the Broncos, to which Pete Barron again replied, and it turned salmon. Even better than that, actually, a $5 million base and $3 million incentives for a max of $8 million, Probably going to be a one-year stopgap deal because he's injury because unless he's injury-free and at an All-Pro level, no way Elway guarantees the remaining four years at twelve million per. So good job, Elway. I said Okung was an eight million dollar a year guy, and you'll get him for five to eight million per year. Posted by P. Barrett. That's pretty solid analysis, but it you know it, it did miss how bad Okung was in 2016. But I'd say all in all, Broncos country, I'm going to give you. Or give us a, a B plus for analysis on Okung. We pretty much had that one sniffed out that it was not a great signing, even though it was a strange uh, one-year team-friendly kind of a deal. Okay, so on to number two, Joe Mays. Now, if you are not a pre-Peyton Manning Broncos fan, you probably won't remember the name Joe Mays. But I remember having a conversation with Kevin back in 2010 when the Broncos had perhaps the worst defense in the NFL. And Joe Mays, the undersized middle linebacker who had some thump to him but, but was an embarrassment in pass coverage, kind of became the poster child of the ineptitude, not only just of that defense, but of the entire 2-14 and 14 Josh McDaniels disaster. For reasons Kevin and I never understood, John Elway turned around during his first full offseason as Broncos GM in 2012 and re-signed Joe Mays to a three-year, $12 million contract. There's honestly not much coverage of the Joe Mays signing on Mile High Report because it came on the heels of the Peyton Manning signing in 2012. But John Bennett had an article shortly after the Mays signing, and he liked the signing. He says, I, for one, am a big fan of Mays' hard-hitting style. Are there limitations? Yes. We know there are struggles in pass coverage. There is a huge upside as well. Mays is a special team stud. He's also a dominant run stuffer, and pro football focus has laid it out for us in a stat they call run-stop percentage. In, in retrospect, that comment in John Bennett's article kind of missed the mark, I think. But interestingly, the first comment from a poster named Bob, last name B-L-O-B-L-A-W, Bob Blah Blah. Okay, I, I like that name. He pretty well nailed it. He says, I think, 
I don't know John, and John as in John Benna, this seems like a stretch. Just using my very untrained eye, it seemed every big running play against the Steelers, and of course that was the game that was the miracle playoff game with the iconic Tim Tebow to DT touchdown overtime. Every every running every big running play against the Steelers was a gap control issue by Mays. I don't care how hard he hits if he isn't covering his gap. Again, I don't have the football IQ of you guys, but it sure seems like like he misses gap assignments a whole bunch. And the comment of the thread actually probably goes to Saturn. Um, another another one that went salmon. I for one think Mays is a complete waste of time. Yeah, he's good at run stopping. I'll go out on that limb and hand that to you, even though his angles suck. What kind of league is this? That's the key question. Unless you're playing the Jets around week seven, when Tebow is moved to the starting position, you will see pass more often. That is where Mays falls apart. He's too slow to cover the inside receiving option, and his angles make it even worse. When he's out there and the other team calls a passes like we are playing with ten and a half players on the field. Sure, he can get some Del Rio magic, all, all up in it and, and become a better player this training camp. I'm not holding my breath for one instant on it, though. My eyes tell me he will be exploited more than he will be an asset on the field. So again, I think John Benham may have been a little clickbaity with his article and was trying to rile things up, but Bronco Country did a good job of calling out the abomination that was Joe Mays in 2012 and labeled it, labeling this as a bad contract. Okay, B+. Plus. So now... On to possibly the worst contract signing in the Elway uh, era, Menelik Watson in 2017. Again, Scotty Payne reporting kind of hedged his bets in, in his article. He says Watson is a high upside signing because he, he entered the league with a ton of upside but has yet to reach it because of nagging injury sign him. So obviously the Broncos hope he can shake the injury bug and finally reach his potential with the team going forward. But now, if, if, the, um, if the article originally was, was a, a little bit noncommittal, the comments that start the, the, the comment thread are absolutely hilarious. So the first one, No Salmon, um, says, it's a post by Caligula, says, No way Stevenson, as in Donald Stevenson, stays now. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, the, the second one was Salmon, and it, was, it came from Tim Lynch, who said, That would be premature. This guy can't stay healthy, ever. He makes Romo look like an Iron Man. Game started 2016, 5, 2015, 0, 2014, 9, 2013, 3. This kind of this signing kind of sucks. Hope it, hope it works out though. Okay, good comment from Tim Lynch. The next one had no salmon. Didn't get didn't get likes. Uh, sometimes players need a change of scenery. That might be a cliche, but others have had access and health by changing teams, venues. Cities that was posted by AJ Broncos. The next one is Salmon and was posted by VM33 and says, and sometimes they just suck. Okay, that, that, that was hilarious. The next one, not Salmon. Sometimes, guess we'll have to wait and find out by AJ Broncos. Next one was Salmon and says, sometimes the glass is half full because you already sucked out the other half. Okay, that was by uh, posted by Orange and Blues Broncos. Uh, I'm sorry, Orange and Blues Brothers. The best comment, though, uh, on this thread was pulled from Walter Football and, again, posted by VM33. And it actually wasn't Salmon, but it was a great comment. I find it funny that the Broncos, for about 15 years, were able to laugh at the Raiders and all of their blunders. Oakland was an incompetent organization and couldn't do anything right. 
Now it's the Raiders' turn. Not that the Broncos are incompetent or anything close to that, but the but Denver signing one of the worst players on Oakland's roster for big money is a complete role reversal. And I imagine that the Raiders are laughing at Denver right now. And yes, Menelik Watson has been that horrible. Watson has struggled to stay healthy throughout his career, and he's been terrible while on the field. He's a liability in both pass protection and run blocking, and he won't improve Denver's horrible offensive line in the slightest. Okay, great. So, th- so there, there are some common sound thread that are a little bit more hopeful, and also some that went salmon. But so I can't give Broncos country an A plus for sniffing out this horrible signing of Menelik Watson. But, but with a big assist from VM33, I'm going to give this um, analysis by Broncos country an A minus. Okay, so B plus, B plus, A minus. I'm giving Broncos. A solid B-plus for seeing some of John Elway's worst free agent signings for what they were the day they happened. Good good on you, Broncos country. All right, so now let's look at the other side of the equation, Elway's best free agent moves. I think this list is actually more compelling than the free agent bust list because my vote for Elway's top three, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarcus Ware, and Peyton Manning, all came to Denver with some issues. Emmanuel Sanders was still young. He was just entering his prime, but he had not achieved all that much in Pittsburgh before entering free agency. DeMarcus Ware, of course, was at the tail end of his career and had come off a season where his back had been so bad, it was hard to watch him play for the Cowboys. And, of course, Peyton Manning was only six months or so removed from beginning a rehabilitation from neck surgery that was so serious he had struggled to even throw a football at all for a time. If you remember, part of the reason Peyton signed in Denver was because he had rehabilitated with his ex-college roommate, Todd Helton of the Rockies. So how did Broncos country do with these three signings and evaluating them the day they happened? All right, let's start with ES on on, uh, March 16, 2014. The lead story that day was written by Kyle Montgomery and really doesn't discuss Sanders' merits for for the Broncos all that much, but, but rather, the story focuses more on the scandal caused by Sanders' agent, believe it or not, who had a verbal deal in place with the Chiefs, but actually chose the Broncos instead. So in the comments section, McGeorge gets things rolling by basically laying an egg. Okay, he says, $5 million per year seems too steep. Rather have Nick's at the deal he signed with Indy. KC is so much worse than us, who cares if they had Sanders or not? This is our only UFA signing. I don't like it or even care for it. All right. So salmon, here's a salmon comment down, down thread. Um, it says, I bet that Peyton makes Sanders look better than Eric Decker. That's what the greatest of all time does, posted by NH Peyton fan 18 Okay, good comment there. Uh, the next one that was uh, salmon came, actually this was a quote from Vic Lombardi, um, posted by the Bulgarian. It says, the Broncos did not overpay. Most people in the NFL thought Sanders would command 7 or $8 million per year. Broncos never considered him a real option. They're elated. Okay, very good comment there. And as you get into the thread, it kind of descends into a trash-talking uh, mosh pit between the Broncos and Chiefs fans, especially over the fact that uh, Sanders had had a, a uh, verbal contract with the Chiefs. So I'm going to um, um, rate this one, um, so, because other than Vic Lombardi, I don't think there was any real sense back in 2014 of just how iconic this signing would end up being, how much Emmanuel Sanders would come to mean to the Denver Broncos organization. And because of that, I'm, I'm going to rate this a C- minus for, for Broncos country. Not a particularly good analysis. All right, so next, let's look at DeMarcus Ware. 
He signed with the Broncos on March 12, 2014 for three years and $30 million. It was a sizable contract for that year for a guy who was at the very tail end of his career. The article was written by John Heath, who, who said, Reactions to the signings have been mixed. Many believe Denver overpaid for Ware's services. Others, including many Broncos players on Twitter, are excited about the move. Very interesting that, uh, that here the, the uh, fan base and the media was kind of against the deal, but the players really loved it. The players, I think, were, were had their finger on the pulse of this one. But one thing is certain, John Elway has the Broncos in win-now mode. Look out, NFL. Okay, that came from John, John, John Heath. The reaction in the comment section mostly revolved around whether or not it was a good use of Pat Boland's money. But there was some celebration that went with it as well. Very first comment comes from a poster named 91 Beast Mode. It said, Dream Team. And John Heath wrote right back, actually in the same minute, and said, No, do not say that. Take it back now. Okay. Yeah, you never call a team. Somebody hit Dream Team. I agree with you there, John. All right. Next comment came from Indy Bronco and said, Von Werewolf. And I'm guessing actually it was it was Indy Bronco who coined the phrase because uh, he had it out there only a few minutes after after Ware signed. Next, there was a salmon comment um, from Mancar who addressed the amount of the contract, and I thought he did it very well. I, I don't understand why people are upset with that number. I, I, I yes, it is a lot. It is a whole lot. But but the Bolin but Bolin has already made up that money by the TV contracts. The NFL spreads among the owners. Plus, you should be happy because Bolin and J.E. are all in. Would you prefer a franchise that doesn't spend money wisely? I offer you to take a look at the Redskins, Browns, Jets, and Dolphins. If anyone builds a team the right way through free agency, it's John Elway. The draft, not so much. And that is okay because J.E. is taking a different approach and is paying off. And, and actually, that was a good comment because he was building a, a team to win now under, under Peyton Manning. Um, but where has missed as many games as Jared Allen? Where is a bit older, but then again, so is Manning. They don't have that much time to win a Super Bowl. Okay, very good comment. But what really never, what's interesting, what really never appears is any real acknowledgement by the fans of the impact that DeMarcus Ware was going to eventually have on the maturing of Von Miller in his locker room leadership, DeMarcus Ware's, or, or his role as a sort of player coach in helping to create possibly the greatest defense in NFL history by 2015. So I'm going to call this another miss and give Broncos country another CC minus for missing the most important attribute of this signing, which was its intangible value. Hmm, very interesting. So, so now let's move on to Peyton Manning. That deal was announced March 19, 2012 to great fanfare in Denver and actually all over the league. Obviously, having been the culmination of a selection process that came down to Denver, Arizona, and San Francisco. There were a number of articles that day, and not much salmon, because there wasn't much reading going on. Outside of the Tim Tebow brigade coming to grips with reality, it was a day of just pure elation by, by Broncos fans. Which actually, and to tell you the truth, surprised me a little, because at the time, Peyton Manning, in 2012... There was really no guarantee that he was going to come back fully healthy from his neck surgery. And there's no guarantee that he wasn't good one good blindside sack away from being finished in the NFL. So, so Broncos country, I, I think this reaction the, of purulation will go down as an A+, plus because that's what the Peyton Manning signing ended up being. And Broncos country was on it and behind it from moment one. Okay, so what learned 
from this little exercise. If anything, it's, it's that regular schlubs like Kevin and you and me who post comments and more specifically the ones who give wrecks on Mile High Report, we know our stuff. If we say that John Elway has botched a signing, then there's pretty good chance that he has botched the signing. What we seem to miss, though, is as was the case with Emmanuel Sanders and DeMarcus Ware, was the intangible impact that a key signing may have for the team. Will that end up being the case with Kareem Jackson, Jawan James, and Bryce? Hard to say, but, but I encourage everybody to kind of keep your eye or ears to the ground over the summer and as we get into training camp and, and look for little indications of what these three add to the Broncos' culture as well as what they add on the field. Because three or four years down the road, as we look back on this past week in Denver Broncos football 2019, the free agency period, that may actually end up being the key storyline. Kevin, back to you. All right. Thank you to the Skipper Dude, as always. And, well, now we know that at least some of the MHR commenters are intelligent. Um, <laughs> some are idiots, but, you know, we'll let you we'll let you be. Uh, I know there were definitely many that were still, okay, maybe not many, but a few that were arguing to keep Tebow over Peyton Manning. Um, that did not age well. Let's just say that. But I was a Tebow fan. I, I was a strong, strong Tebow fan. I liked the guy. I liked his personality. I liked what he brought. Um, but yeah, I didn't really love him as a quarterback, but still that said, I think perhaps the most exciting moment in my Broncos fan experience was his past to Demarius Thomas to beat Pittsburgh. That was unbelievable. I, I, I mean, I'd say obviously winning the Super Bowl in 2015 was amazing. That was incredible. The game before that against New England was the most nerve-wracking game I've ever experienced. But that game against Pittsburgh, it was so unexpected and unreal that the magic of the moment, Tebow not doing anything all year and then having a great game against Pittsburgh and that walk-off win with Demarius Thomas, oh, man, that was unreal. And I know there are a lot of Tebow haters, but you can't tell me that wasn't one of the most exciting plays in Broncos history. Absolutely one of the greatest plays ever. Anyway... Uh, interesting, yeah, interesting stuff from from Skipper Dude. And when you look at the, what the Mile High Report people thought of this offseason, it's generally positive. The free agency moves, at least the the Flacco move was was pretty mixed. I think the first reaction to the Flacco move was was really really negative. And then after people kind of got over it and and really thought about it, okay, what does he actually bring? Rather than what has he done to us in the past, it it got better. I think I think he is in. An okay addition. I think fans think it, it could turn out well. And, you know, the, the ceiling isn't really high, perhaps, but the floor isn't all that low either. I mean, and he can't be any worse than Case Keenum in 2018. So other than that, though, the other free agency moves, I think they're almost all really, they've, they've been taken really well by a mile high report and all, all of Broncos country. Uh, Juwan James, I think, is the biggest question mark. No one really knows what to expect. And I think he's a talented guy, but obviously with a big contract comes great responsibility. Um, but I think if, you know, Cooper and Chris Cooper, that is the former Bronco, who's now an assistant line coach, um, if he and Munchak like the guy, then I trust them. I mean, Munchak is a guy that that we loved that they brought him in. I mean, we thought that was one of the greatest gets of the offseason. And if that's the case, we got to trust him, right? We have to say, okay, if they wanted him this much, if they wanted James this much, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and see what the guy can do on the field. 
Now, the other three, or the other two, I should say, the Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan, I think have been overwhelmingly um, looked on it optimistically. I, I love Kareem Jackson and Callahan. I mean, they're both guys. I like them because they're tough. They're, they're hard-nosed. They get in there, in there and tackle. They're good at on blitz packages. Um, they're obviously athletic. They're guys who can do a bunch of different things, and I think that's the new NFL. You're seeing guys who can play different positions, especially in the, in the defensive backfield. And you see that with Justin Simmons. You're going to see that with Kareem Jackson and perhaps even Bryce Callahan. And so you're going to have a lot of talented guys back there and when you have, you know, guys, you know, really, really, really good pass rushers like Bradley Chubb and, of course, Von Miller, then you want some some cornerbacks that can either, you know, cover for one extra second to get their pass rush at time to get there for a sack, or when the pass rush forces, you know, the quarterback to make bad decisions, the secondary takes advantage. And that's exactly what happened in 2015. And that's what I think the Broncos are trying to build again with the, the no-fly zone now. Is this going to be another no-fly zone? We'll see. I don't think they're quite there yet. We'll see what they do on the field. I think it's definitely jumping the gun to say they'll be that good. Um, Tlaib was obviously a known factor. You knew exactly what you were getting with him. He is a potentially Hall of Fame cornerback. Um, Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan just aren't there yet. Jackson's an older guy. He, he's not a Hall of Fame guy. He's, he's a very good, very solid corner. Um, a tough guy, a guy who's um, going to make all the tackles. But he's not a, he's not a Tlaib-level guy, so... You know, when you when you consider that Harris Jr. moves from being the number two to, to the number one, and then the number two isn't quite as good as Harris, you obviously take a step back from what the no-fly zone was. Now, that being said, it can still be a really, really good secondary, and I think that that absolutely should be the case. And I'm excited for it. I think, you know, I think that should be a strength. I think the defense should be a strength. I don't love their inside linebackers. I think they obviously need edge rushing um, depth. They have almost no one behind um, Miller and Chubb. So I think that's actually something that they're going to, to go after in the draft. I could even see it. Let's not, let's not throw this idea away that the Broncos might draft an edge rusher in the first round, even in the top 10, you know, with their number 10 pick. If Ed Oliver lands at 10, I could absolutely see them drafting at Oliver because Shaq Barrett's gone. Shane Ray's gone. All, all of your guys who are on the outside backing up Chubb and Miller are gone. So either you need to bring in some free agents, you need to, to I guess, draft some guys later on, or you need to bring in a, another stud to be that number three guy to come in off the bench. And, and that is just as important or, or, okay, maybe close to as important as your starters. So that's that's a route I could see them going in the draft. They obviously could go middle linebacker. I think that's that's the main consensus right now is either they go with with Drew Locke or a middle linebacker like White or Bush. Um, I I don't believe in Drew Locke. I've said that every show. I, I've tweeted it. I'm really on the record for saying I don't think that's possibly going to happen. I think if Locke is there at ten, I I don't think there's any way the Broncos draft him. Now perhaps the Broncos trade back in the draft. And if Locke is still available, say at 18 or 19, okay, then maybe. But I don't think the Broncos see him as a valuable pick at 10. Now that they have Joe, Joe Flacco, who's going to be their quarterback, probably for the next two or three years, Locke is just, he's not great. He's not. I, I don't see any any scouts or anyone saying he's a great potential quarterback. They say, yeah, he's got a lot of good things. He could be a good, solid quarterback. But since when has anyone said he is a, a can't-miss, you know, an Andrew Luck type guy? He's not. And I mean, I don't even know if Haskins is. I mean, Haskins has has been touted as the most likely to be a can't miss guy, but he's not even close to being like like a Andrew Luck type candidate. So 
I don't think they draft a quarterback in the first round. Uh, I think it's more likely they get a guy like Ripien or someone in the second or third, and they have him grow behind Joe Flacco and see what you have and hope that you hit gold, which sometimes you do. Sometimes these second round guys like or, or for, you know deeper round guys obviously turn out to be um, stars. Now, it's, it's not likely. It doesn't happen often, but it, it does happen. Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, etc. Um, so I think it's likely they go with, with the best, best player available at 10. And that could be anybody. It really could. It could be a, an offensive lineman. I could totally see them drafting a guard, which a lot of people thought they should have done last year. Um, they could, they could draft an inside linebacker like wider Bush. They could draft a cornerback. I mean, even though you have three, you can move Kareem Jackson over to the, the nickel corner, kind of your, your, your sub package guy, your guy who's going to come in and, and, and be on the tight ends when you're in dime packages, which I think he might end up being anyway, even though he's kind of a smaller guy, he's kind of known as a, a, a hybrid between a safety and a cornerback. He played a little bit of safety last year with Houston. So he, he's, he's kind of a wild card. So I could see them still going out and getting a cornerback, but there's also the rumors that the Broncos really like Isaac Yadam. And if they like Yadam, then he's your number three or, or perhaps number four. And then you don't really have a need for a cornerback, which means again, what are your needs? Your needs are, you know, perhaps on your offensive line. I could totally see edge guy. I could see a defensive lineman. I could see a middle linebacker. And those are your most likely um, players. Now there's also been rumors. Um, I know some guys on the fan one Oh four, three, the fan.com. Um, you can listen to their podcast and whatever there. I think it was D Mac who was saying that he thinks they should go and get DK Metcalf, uh, the wide receiver who, who is just this absolutely freakish athletic guy who just looks like a, he looks like a bodybuilder. Um, but he got absolutely roasted for saying that. I mean, because I mean, the Broncos already have a, you know, kind of a high draft pick in Sutton. Um, they have so many other needs that you probably aren't going to go and get a guy at number 10 for a wide receiver, wide receivers in the top 10 often don't pan out. He's a guy who didn't have very good stats in college. He's, he doesn't, he's not very athletic. He's very fast. He's very strong, but he's not very quick. And when you're in the NFL, that's not always the best attributes to have. I mean, who is the guy with, with Cincinnati? Um, well, we just talked about him. Ross, I think it was, I think it was Ross. Um, this guy who ran one of the fastest 40 times in the combine history and he's been a terrible wide receiver in the NFL. It just shows you that these these measured these measured stats just don't they don't mean everything. Sometimes they mean absolutely nothing. So I think that the Broncos are going to be smart about it. They're, they're not going to go. I just can't Im- can't imagine that they'd pick a wide receiver at number 10. Can't imagine it. No, I mean I would be shocked. I'd be more shocked at that than if they draft Drew Locke and I'd be really shocked if they draft Drew Locke. So no way. Um the other way that they could go is is draft a really good um tight end. There's a couple, I think, really star tight ends that are coming out in the draft. Fant and um, I can't think of names. Um, something like McConaughey or something like that. Someone, someone, tell me in the comments, please, who who the other uh, top tight end is in the in the first round of of this draft. Um, if I had to guess right now, if I had to pick, I I say that they they trade back and they get uh, draft capital either for this year or next year. Um, they trade back to maybe 18 or 19. Someone wants to trade up for Drew Locke. I, I could absolutely see that, that teams are always panicky for quarterbacks. And so someone's going to want Haskins. Someone's going to want Murray. Someone's going to want Locke. Murray looks like he's probably going to go to Arizona. It looks almost, almost for sure to me that he's going to be drafted number one overall, which is a big risk, but I get it. You, when, when you have the number one pick or you have a, even a top 10 pick, you want to get someone who's special. You don't 
you know, you don't really want to get a lineman or somebody unless he's absolutely special at his position. And there aren't that many guys, it seems, in this draft that are absolutely special. Um, and I think Drew or, or Murray, Kyler Murray, is he is special. Maybe he won't even pan out, but he is special. He has a special bunch of talents that I could see why he would go number one overall. And then, of course, the Cardinals would trade um, Josh Rosen probably to someone like the Patriots to have him um, come in whenever Tom Brady retires, which could be another 10 years. So we'll see when that happens. How old is Tom Brady right now? Is he 43 or something, isn't he? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable, this guy. I I just, it's, we. I, I was wondering that the other day with, with some of the MHR staff. Why, why is it, it's a really interesting thing that you see all these Hall of Fame quarterbacks that were back in the 70s and 80s. And it seemed you kind of had a dry spell for the 90s. And, and you had guys like Brady and Manning kind of coming up. But but you had a stretch there that there weren't very many Hall of Fame quarterbacks playing. Maybe, maybe Favre, maybe the very end of the career of, of a couple of these guys in the late 90s with Marino and Elway, etc. But uh, now, you know, when you have Brady retire, Breeze, Roethlisberger, Rivers, those are kind of your top guys, all potential Hall of Famers. Some of them locks for the Hall of Fame. Who's going to be next? Who, who are your next Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the NFL today? And I think it's an interesting question, and I, I don't really know. I think when, when when Andrew Luck was drafted, he was a guy who thought that he he could eventually be a Hall of Fame, you know, the the star of the NFL. And last year, he was very good, and he showed again that he could be that guy, I mean, if he gets healthy. But he didn't have very good teams around him. He got hurt for, you know, almost an entire year. And he's got a long way to prove that he's he's the next Hall of Famer. Now, Maybe Russell Wilson, he, he's at least a very, very good quarterback, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, perhaps a Hall of Famer. But who are the who are the other young guys? I mean, I mean, I know some of the MHR guys were saying maybe it's like Matt Ryan, who's kind of that, that middle group um, who puts up really good stats, but never really thought of as being a Hall of Fame guy. Um, maybe it's Deshaun Watson, you know, as he grows into a into a really star young quarterback. It, it may, maybe it's Baker Mayfield. Maybe it's Baker Mayfield. I mean, you know, he's got one year under his belt, but he showed that he's got the the temperament and, and whatnot that he could. He could be. Now, I think that Cleveland will always find a way to lose somehow because they're Cleveland. They, they will they will screw something up no matter what because they're the Cleveland Browns. And I like the Cleveland Browns. I, I actually wrote for the Cleveland Browns for, for a short time, or I should say I wrote about the Cleveland Browns for a short time. And, and so they're kind of my number two team, but... I that's why I know them so well that they will mess something up. Something will go wrong because it has to because they're Cleveland. But anyway, I, I'd be really curious to hear your comments. Um, please go to milehighreport.com and tell me. Um, also comment on my article, obviously. But but tell me what you think. Who who are the who are the young guys right now who are playing in the league or or who could be drafted this year or the next couple years who are most likely to be Hall of Fame quarterbacks who will be stars in the NFL for the next 20 years because, as always, the NFL is a quarterback-driven league. And it's it's an interesting topic, and I'd be interesting interested to hear your take on it. But that's that's about all I've got for the day. Um, my feelings on, on the offseason so far are, are optimistic, actually. I, I know I was pretty pessimistic last week. I'm, a, I'm kind of a roller coaster of Broncos emotions, but I think that's honestly, like most fans, if you have a couple of moves that you don't like, then you're down. If you have a move or two you like, then you're up. And that's just kind of how we roll, right? And I think I'm not alone in that. Um, I'm a fan. That's just simply what I am. I'm a fan of the Broncos. And I, I my moods roll with, with the, the moods of, of 
of the fan world, I suppose. It's kind of a hive mind. And I don't think I'm really outside that hive mind. But I, I like what they've done. I think that it's a good start to the 2019 offseason, and I hope that Elway and the front office continue to build with a really good draft and add a couple more pieces, perhaps through free agency, because they still have $15 million in in, in, in um, cap space. So I think your rookies typically take, I don't know, 8 or $9 million, so they still have some money to spend. I could see them going out and trading or, or signing a an inside linebacker and making it so that that's not a position that you have to draft, and so then you can truly go best player available, which very, very possibly could be offensive line. Um, that's it for the day. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for um, listening today, even though it's a day late. Sorry about that. My Tuesday got very, very, very busy and hectic. Um, but I guess better late than never. Y'all have a great week, and I will, well, I'll see you again next Tuesday. Peace. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm Raising me a family and working on the farm Days are all filled with an easy country charm Thank God I'm a country boy Well, I got me a fine wife, I got me old fiddle When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the griddle Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle Thank God I'm a country boy